And for the rest of us, I invite you to take your Bibles and hear the Word of God that today is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 to 36. Again, Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 to 38, 36. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. What a gift it is to be able to, to come together around it, uh, to be immersed in it, to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. And in response, oh God, we pray that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've shared with you before uh, a confessional that while I was in uh, college, I was in choir. That was uh, my activity du jour in college. I was in the Centenary College Choir, which is in Shreveport, Louisiana, and the Centenary Choir is, is a traveling choir. Uh, we uh, take one weekend every month, uh, and we would travel across the southern United States. I sang in churches uh, across Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, uh, Georgia, Mississippi. Uh, we, we traveled across the south, and it was uh, a gift to be able to have that experience. Experience. But one of the ways in which we prepared for our time in the choir was we had choir camp at the beginning of every school year. It was a way to onboard the freshmen into the culture of the choir, and more importantly, it was a way for us to learn all of our uh, all of our. Um, uh, program for the year. Uh, we sang uh, typically 12 to 15 uh, different uh, songs in every performance, and in every one of those songs, it was uh, for memory, and so we had to, to not only learn the song, but to build it up to where it was by memory. Uh, it was an extraordinary process, but maybe even more extraordinary than learning the music was uh, the focus of the choir camp was for the choir to come together. Because it's hard to make music with other people if you don't know them, if you're not in relationship with them, if you don't care for them, and if you don't feel that care 
back. I mean, think about the best uh, musicians you've heard. Think about the ways in which you've, you've heard family quartets or duos, and you're like, how do they make such blended harmony so magnificently? It's almost uh, as though their familial connections allow their music to go deeper. And I would make the claim that it's not almost as though. It is actually as, as though. Their relationships allow their music to be better. Well, uh, my sophomore year, uh, it was my first opportunity to be at choir camp and be one of the ones onboarding freshmen into the culture of the choir. And so uh, one of my very dearest friends at the time, uh, Lawrence LaDuff, and I began to go from freshman to freshman, like at breakfast or at lunch, and we would sit down across the table from them, and we would ask them the oddest question. I don't know how we came up with it, but we said uh, to these, uh, these brand new choir members, what makes you tick? And the look back was like, uh, I'm not even honest whenever you ask me how I'm doing. Why would you ask me what makes me tick, right? Like, like I mean, and we all know that. We, uh, we, we, we see someone, we say, hey, what's up? So good to see you. How is it going? Oh, it's good. Really, my whole life sucks right now, but it's good, right? Like, that's, like that's a normal interaction in life, uh, but, but we wanted to go beyond that and kind of just get into some, some deeper spaces, and so we would say, what makes you tick? I remember two particular instances while we were having these encounters. One was with a new female student in the choir. We asked her what makes her tick. She was very guarded. She didn't know what was going on. She was like, these sophomores are trying to hit on me, eh, like, like, or whatever it was, and so uh, but, but what took place over the course of the week is we, we actually saw that two or three days later, she came back to us, and it's as though she had been reflecting on how inauthentic she was in the original encounter, and she came back to us, and she said, hey, I was thinking about your question, what makes me tick? My brother and I are really close, and that's probably going to be the hardest thing about being in college is being away from my brother. And I really appreciate you asking me that because it gave me a chance to think about how important family is to me. And I think my brother and my family make me tick. And then I remember uh, uh, quite vividly, actually, um, my very best friend in the world was a freshman in the choir that year, and, 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 uh, and, and my buddy Lawrence and I asked DeAndre, DeAndre, what makes you tick? And he was able to share uh, a testimony, really, about his faith in Jesus and his, his desire to pursue God with his whole life. And I was like, who is this kid? I know I'm called to ministry, but I wouldn't have answered like that because that's way too vulnerable, too over the top. Like, he doesn't even know, like, if we're believers or not. And he just went out, went out there and said, Jesus, Jesus makes me tick. Like, his love for me and my love for him and and I try every single day to, to please him. It was so odd to see the shift take place in those conversations. And uh, when, whenever I, I think through this, uh, I, I know that, 
that that is core to a depth of relationships and a capacity for us to go deeper with God. Because if we can't go deeper with one another, then how are we going to go deeper with God? And when we go deeper with God, we're able to go deeper with one another. It's, it's a beautiful uh, uh, symbiotic reality that these things are connected to one another. John Wesley is the founder of Methodism. We're a global Methodist church here. John Wesley is, is our heritage, and, and he built methodical systems of discipleship. That's actually how we had our beginning, from, uh, from, from humble conversations where, where uh, people that were pursuing faithfulness uh, would gather together and go deeper in their faith with one another to where we are today, where millions upon millions of people around the world are part of that Methodist heritage. And here's one of the core principles that, that Wesley was getting at whenever he engaged in discipleship. Here's what he was getting at. He would ask a question, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul. I remember that was a question that had been missing from Covenant for, for, for some of the early years of our ministry, and I gathered with some of the leaders, uh, and, and, and we, we were going to gather for prayer together, and, and I asked that question, how is it with your soul? And, and it's like eyes are open, and there's a depth of connection to something that is deeper within, because so often we fail to even acknowledge that we have a soul. Right? Like we're so busy thinking that we're a mind or that we're a body or that we're uh, having to, to walk through the challenges of life that we, we forget to, to really grasp that we have a soul. That question was never a part of my upbringing, and I was in good Methodist churches all along the way. And, and I think that the Methodist churches I was raised in primarily activated, how is it with your mind? Are you growing intellectually in your knowledge of God or your knowledge of the word? Uh, can you challenge one another theologically, make sure that you could defend against uh, reformed theology or whatever it was that we were doing? Like It seems like soul conversations were absolutely absent. And what did that do to my spiritual health or the spiritual health of the others that I was growing up with? How is it with your soul? It's amazing that we would grapple with that question, you know, do I even have a soul? Because, because the truth of the matter is we sang about our soul I mean, at many funerals, we sing a song, and in many glorious worship settings, we sing a song that talks about our soul. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul. Not only do I have a, song, a soul, but my soul wells up with praise. To Christ my Savior. That it lifts up from the very depth of my being. Not just my voice, but my voice is actually coming from, rooted in a deep place of soul praise. Then 
sings my soul. So I am going to, to invite us as we consider the scripture today and consider what it means for us to be in discipleship here at Covenant today to, uh, to, to consider uh, two words, and I'm going to ease you through this because the second word is, is, is pretty intimidating. So maybe we'll start with the first word and move ourselves forward. The first word is authenticity. That, that the scripture invites us to be authentically ourselves before God and in our relationship with other Christians. Authenticity. But, but the, 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 the next layer of that that draws us deeper that might be a little bit intimidating to you and to me or maybe I'll just say it's intimidating to me, and if you come alongside that, that's fine, is vulnerability. That the scriptures reveal to us that vulnerability is necessary for spiritual growth. And that Jesus models for us authenticity and vulnerability, and in his modeling is inviting us to be participants in that so that we might grow as well. So in this passage of Scripture, what is most commonly uh, clung to uh, is the second half of this passage where, where Jesus has already uh, gone beyond his disciples and he, uh, he comes to this place and kneels by himself in prayer. And, and we think about the Luke overtone to this, that his sweat uh, became like drops of blood. Right? You, you remember that imagery that, uh, that is in, imprinted in our collective minds as Christians in this passage. That Jesus prayed so vigorously, with such passion, with such desperation, in such need, that his sweat became like drops of blood. That's absent here, but it's part, in Mark's version, but it's part of our understanding. But here's his prayer. His prayer is, Abba, Father. The best translation we have in English for the word Abba is Daddy. And if Daddy doesn't fit for your intimate relationship with your father or the most endeared father figure in your life, you should put whatever word you have for that relationship in. One of our friends, one of my friends, Peyton Ruddick, his grandfather, his grandmother passed away just yesterday, uh, and his grandmother and grandfather had deep impact in his life. Uh, if, you, if you know and love Peyton, send him a message of comfort and, uh, and care. Well, his grandfather is known as Big. And so maybe here, as he reads this passage, he would say, Big Father. Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, Pops, Father. Intimate, caring, loving, close, connected, with me, for me, Father. The Father that I'm able to approach and be authentically myself. In all of my strength, in all of my weakness, in all of my successes, in all of my failures. Father, I come before you, and he, he then cries out to God, and this is where we could have that image of sweat like drops of blood. Everything is possible for you. I know you could do anything because you are almighty, you are everlasting. I was with you in the beginning, and I'll be with you in the end, and so I come before you and say, 
take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I mean, there's, there, there's a shift in, in his language, it seems to me, this move from authenticity to vulnerability, the authenticity of relationship, the vulnerability that that then affords, the vulnerability to say, this thing is so incredibly hard. I don't know how I could endure it, how I could go through it. And I want you and me to think about uh, those, those tragic moments in life that have happened to you or have happened to loved ones, that have happened to people that you know or people that you've heard of. And, and you just, just can't even fathom the excruciating experience that that entails. And then you could put yourself there. And this move that authenticity allows vulnerability and Jesus then models for us. I don't know if I could do this. Or at very least, this is so hard. I don't know if I want to do this. But whatever your will is, there's a submission. And it's almost, it's almost as though like, like the vulnerability gives, uh, gives strength. The vulnerability like undergirds, like turns the corner for Jesus, like in, enables, empowers him to move forward. Because in that same very prayer, he's able to say, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, this is so hard. Take this cup from me. And then the spirit of the living God that, that is always with and for uh, God's people uh, is there for Jesus and says, you can, you will, you are able. And Jesus turns the corner in his prayer. And so I want you to know and hear from Jesus in this and what he models that you are able to be vulnerable, authentic and vulnerable with God. And it's, ba it's baffling to me how often I protect or protect myself from God or protect God from myself by not being vulnerable with God as though God doesn't already know. I mean, what, what a joke I am whenever I do that. Like, like I'll be praying to God and like, oh God, I'm going to give you all of this part of me in prayer, but this little section over here, you can't handle it, God, or I can't handle it, or something's going on, so... God's already aware and already loves and already paid the ultimate price. And so we are able to be authentic and vulnerable with God. But that's only one, one side of things. The next is this authentic, authenticity and vulnerability possible in relationship with others. And so I want you to, to refocus uh, your frame of reference uh, in this text so that we could see what precedes that moment, that Abba Father moment, and understand what it meant for Jesus to be authentic and vulnerable with others, with his disciples, and that this becomes a part of the modeling of discipleship for us. You see, in verse 33 and then 34, uh, take deep note of this. Jesus comes to Gethsemane. He says to the disciples, sit here while I pray, but then he takes three disciples he takes Peter, James, and John along with him. And they come with him into this moment. 
And, and Jesus, as he's bringing them with him, is able to acknowledge these uh, experiences, these feelings. He says, uh, or it, we, we have revealed to us that he is deeply distressed and troubled. Now, too often when we are deeply distressed or troubled, we try to go it alone or try to protect our loved ones from that. I might be deeply distressed or troubled and I might try to withhold that from Lauren, my wife, as though I'm protecting her from the pain or the challenge of that troubled situation. Or my friends or, or my colleagues, there might be some sort of protective spirit that keeps us from being truly vulnerable, but Jesus doesn't model that. He brings them along with him in the midst of his troubled state. But then I want you to see this turn. Jesus is authentically present with those, and then he is vulnerable to vocalize the depth of what's going on. In verse 34, this is Jesus. Before he's talking to his father, he is talking to his friends. Before he's talking to his father, he's talking to his friends. And here's what he says. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus doesn't hold anything back. He is absolutely all the way, 100% real to those around him. And in so doing, Jesus is modeling this. And there's a reason why Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this account. They all testify to the depth of this impact on the disciples, on the apostles' ministry moving forward. They're able to understand what it means to be real with one another so that they could have a discipleship ministry that would, would reach Jesus' mission to the ends of the earth. That is made possible starting with this authentically vulnerable move. This last year has been hard uh, for me. It's been a challenging year. Um, it's been challenging in that my family has changed. Uh, our, our daughter, Addison, moved off to college not once but twice. I didn't really get that note that when they go back their sophomore year, they do it again. They rip out your soul and they split it. In, in, in. But that, that we've done that in our house, our home, our family has been recast in some sense, rebalanced and rhythms and expectations and relationships reforged in new and fresh ways. And this year's been tough with me. Um, uh, I won't recount it, but, but Methodism broadly has been in a little bit of a chaotic state over the last year. And it's caused some challenges, uh, including challenges in my life. One of the, the casualties in that over the last year has been uh, my covenant group. Some of you know that uh, I've been a part of a covenant group with, uh, with, with brothers in Christ, other laborers in, in, the, in the vineyard, uh, other pastors for the last 14 years of ministry. 
I mean, 14 years of authentic, vulnerable relationships with other brothers. I mean, it's been uh, a tremendous journey. And I got to tell you, like, starting over with a new group of guys is, like, the worst thing to imagine because they know all of my mess. Like, they got, they got every bit of the nitty-gritty. And so the idea that I'm going to start fresh with another group is as torturous as knowing that this group has fallen to pieces. And I miss my friends and I miss being known. And I don't understand um, how we allowed for our relationships to experience this fracture. So it's been hard. It's been really hard. And I think to myself, um, why is it so hard? Well, it's hard because, unfortunately, it's a rare thing in this world to be authentically known out of a space of vulnerability. And so when we're able to experience that, you never want to let it go. This is Jesus's model of discipleship for us. Spaces where we could be real so that we could grow. Because we can't grow if it's coming out of a fake imposture space. I mean, what would it be for us to... To, to pursue discipleship and, and be like, yeah, my prayer life is 100%, my, my Bible reading is 100%, my worship attendance is 100%, but I didn't see you last week, but my worship attendance is 100%. I mean, like everything's 100, everything's 100, all my discipleship is 100. No, that's not reality. Reality is we are growing and for us to grow we have to be honest about where we are. Over the course of, of this series, Life Together, we've been, we've been uh, reminding covenant, uh, encouraging covenant to, to be reformed, uh, recommitted to our uh, life of discipleship together, that we must be a people that are growing in holiness of heart and life. Otherwise, we're just playing games. I mean, the work of a disciple is to make disciples, and it starts with being made a disciple, and that happens in relationships. It happens in authentic and vulnerable relationships. And you might be thinking to yourself, whoa, 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 Jason, you just killed the sales pitch. Uh, if, if, if you want me to join a small group and you tell me that I got to be vulnerable, I'm out. Okay, pause one second. Vulnerability and authenticity are not uh, coerced or forced. And, and there's no timeline on it where it has to be so just right now. But the truth of the matter is that every effective discipleship group you will ever find has a growth and a development in authentic, vulnerable relationships. 
And I pray that that's what you will find over the course of time in covenant small groups. That we would experience what Peter, James, and John did as Jesus revealed his heart to them. As he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. So that we can authentically, vulnerably share celebrations, opportunities, challenges, and pain. All for the building up. The building up of the body. That is a part of what you and I are called to together. It is my hope and prayer that you will sign up and be a part of a small group. Because Covenant is called to be a church of small groups. And this is a core principle that will guide and direct us in that way. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for uh, the witness of Jesus. The witness of his relationships. The way in which he poured into the relationships with the disciples. And that, that he stepped forward authentically and vulnerably in those engagements. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts where where they are hardened. Open us up to the possibility that we can be known and loved. That being known and loved are not contrary to one another, but rather They are complementary. That you have woven us together. And just as you pursue us, you have brought others into our lives that will pursue us as well. So we pray, oh God, that you would that you would meet with us as we consider the depth of our hearts, and we ask God that you would uh, that you would give us relationships that would bear fruit in that way. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, I pray that you would bless uh, these gifts, that you would bless the givers as well, that all uh, that is done in this space and time would be for your glory, honor, and praise. We pray, Lord, that the the gifts that, that the church has been equipped with would be stewarded well and that you would bear fruit for your kingdom through the work of covenant and the ministries that she partners with. Lord, be glorified in these gifts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.